I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. It was a case that made headlines last summer, a plot by extremists to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. FBI says that it uh, foiled that plot. Uh, New evidence in the case shows the agency did more than just observe what was going on. Undercover agents might have helped set up and prod the whole thing. Uh, So we wanted to get into this question of how often does this happen in government and in law enforcement? What are the legal issues around that? And uh, really thrilled to have in studio with us Greg Scordis, who you've all been enjoying this week. It's great to have Greg in the building. And uh, and a big thank you as well for uh, sitting in this chair for us last week as we were uh, up at the lake. And uh, thanks for coming. I was, in, on, I was honored to do that, Boyd. Oh, it really was. Oh, wonderful. We love your insight. And uh, as I as I warned you earlier today, you stick around here too long and it's uh, it's Hotel California. You can check out. You just can't. You just can't leave, yeah. Well, they bought me lunch today, so that's good. (laughs) So you're in. Awesome. So as you looked at this case, uh, obviously it it looks like uh, that law enforcement may have – may have done more than just been uh, casual and quiet undercover observers of this uh, how do you how do you see it you know it's it, that's interesting because when we when we saw this plot being sort of uncovered this plot to kidnap uh, the mission Michigan governor and even more so to to kind of uh, set up a, a militia we thought boy the FBI did a really good job how did they do that well we now know how they did it and that is that they had 12 people working undercover within the group. So 14 people have been arrested, but 12 others were working with or employed by the FBI. So they were informants. And, and you know, informants sort of make the world go round. We, we can't, I was a prosecutor for eight years. There were certain crimes that were very difficult to prosecute without some help from yeah. an inside source. But the issue becomes, Boyd, the single word entrapment. Mm. And at what point the government's going to have to answer this question. At what point did the did the services of the FBI informants and the FBI agents actually encourage this group to commit the crime that they would not have committed? Yeah, and that's uh, that is such a fascinating thing. So if you uh, remember back to last summer, uh, as this started to kind of eke out, it was uh, they they went through in great detail in terms of how they were patrolling the lake and how they were identifying which of the cabins was that of uh, of the Michigan governor and how that would uh, be done. And some of the informants, uh, again, were not just passively watching. They were saying, well, hey, you can do this and who's in and how much explosives do you need for this? Uh, how often do we see that play out and and what does it do? You you mentioned these uh, cases where you, you need somebody on the inside. Yeah, I mean, most of the time, especially with something like this, where you're dealing with uh, domestic terrorism, you're not going to get inside that group unless you have somebody on the inside that's going to let you in. Yeah. When we were, when I was at the DA's office, we were doing a gang interdiction. I mean, <clears throat> they're not going to invite a cop into the gang, but if <laughs> right. you can work your way in and find information, you can. But what happened was this, and, and I think that the government's now had to disclose some 400,000 text messages oh and goodness. like 1,200 hours of, of voice calls. And some of these attorneys are saying, look, I have a text message from my client saying, 
I never signed up for this uh, kidnapping of the governor. I'm pro-gun. I wanted to learn about more what, what you're doing. I'm anti-government. I'm into smaller government. And I really wanted to learn more about that. I wanted my voice to be heard. But I didn't sign up for a, for a kidnapping, <laughs> except for the fact that these insiders, these government insiders, apparently, at least according to some of these defendants, yeah. encouraged them to stay in that. And keep in mind, Boyd, the charges in this case are conspiracy. Mm. They never did actually kidnap. Right. They conspired, allegedly, to kidnap. A conspiracy requires a meeting of the minds. And if the cons- if one of the co-conspirators who's organizing this and getting people out- outraged about it and getting them fired up is a police officer, that gets pretty close to this definition of entrapment. Entrapment. Yeah, that's, uh, that's such an interesting <laughs> – this is like a movie plot. You couldn't uh, – Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't, it's you can't make this stuff up. Uh, and as you mentioned, that uh, of the 14 – 14 have been arrested, but 12. So out of the 26 uh, – Half of them are cops. Half of them are <laughs> right. on the inside. That's a little unusual. So as a prosecutor, how do you uh, – how do you deal with situations like this where maybe that inside person or uh, somebody has been a little overzealous uh, without just you know losing the, the control of the whole case? Well, you have to tell your people inside that they need to be very careful. They can't encourage the crime. They can't engage in criminal conduct themselves. Mm-hmm. They just can't do that. So if you're, a, if you're uh, involved in an organization and you infiltrate a criminal organization and you're there to monitor, you're there to watch, you're there to report their activities to the yeah. FBI, that's fine. That's absolutely acceptable. But if you're there and you're encouraging, you're inviting new members to come in, you're teaching members how to commit some of these crimes that they're alleged to have committed, and you're, and you're, you're pe- keeping people involved, keeping them up to speed on what's going on. And even those that are sort of like, oh, I don't think I want to do this anymore, you're saying, no, 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 we Keep got coming. this. This is going to go great. <laughs> Just stay with us. That, that may cross the line. We'll see. I mean, I've done entrapment cases, and they're, they're losers for the defense. Rarely does an entrapment defense work. But in this case, that's the only defense available because they all are caught with their text messages and, and in person actually going to the scene and doing what they're accused of doing. Right. So, so how do you see this playing out then uh, as we kind of move into this next phase? You mentioned that the government has had to disclose uh, a lot more than they probably would like to disclose on these kinds of things in terms of how they operate and what was done. Uh, so how do you see it playing out going forward? Well, so entrapment sort of goes on two levels, Boyd. One is legal and one is factual. And so they'll, they'll take the entrapment defense to the judge and say, as a matter of law, judge, the conduct of the FBI was so over the top that you should dismiss this case as a matter of law for entrapment. Judge probably isn't going to do that. The judge is going to say, that's a jury question. Take it to the jury. And so during the trial, this is going to be very difficult. And this is why entrapment is so difficult, because they're going to have to tell the jury, look, my client did some bad things, and he's sorry about that. But he wouldn't have done those things had it not been for the encouragement of the FBI, the encouragement of the government that that got him to do something that he really wasn't going to do except for their conduct. And a jury has to buy off on that. That's the hard sell. That's the hard sell that the defense has in this case. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating stuff. Greg Scordis, always appreciate your insight and your analysis. Great stuff. And again, a big thanks uh, to all your help around KSL and uh I'm not going to tell you where the door is because we want you back. So appreciate your insight as always. Uh, So fascinating as that uh, continues to play out there in this Michigan case. Again, the plot uh, was to kidnap the governor. 
Uh, and, of course, that was foiled. The uh, FBI kind of beat their chest a little bit about that. Uh, and now we see there was uh, maybe a little more influence uh, and possibly that word entrapment that Greg uh, led us to that I think is so uh, critical that we've got to keep our eye on. We're also keeping our eye on the floor of the United States Senate right now. A vote is underway uh, which would be to take up the infrastructure bill. This is the $1.2 trillion bipartisan bill, and it uh, doesn't look like there will be any Republican votes cast uh, to move to the bill. Uh, the encouraging side of this is that it is nudging the process forward. Uh, both uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, the minority leader, uh, as well as Mitch McConnell from the minority side, believe that they will be able to get some bill text, uh, which is obviously important. Uh, that will be done over the weekend. So there's a high likelihood that we could have this same vote uh, coming up on Monday of next week. Uh, and just as a little aside, it's so important to look at as you look at the final vote count. Some people may scratch their head a little bit when they see Chuck Schumer will vote against uh, taking up the bill. And he has to do that as the majority leader, because if something is defeated, if you voted for it, you can't be the one to bring it back up. And so as the leader, he actually has to vote against his own bill uh, in order to reserve the right to bring it back up for another vote uh, come Monday. Hopefully they will have bill text. Hopefully uh, lobbyists are vacationing uh, so that they don't waste a lot of time over the weekend trying to get stuff tucked into that bill. And we hope we will see uh, a vote and some action on that come Monday. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we'll do an update on where we are on COVID-19. Uh, much more to come here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.